Jesus is saying, if you have within your heart a desire to be mine, then you must deny self. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So that's the passage before us, although we'll just be looking at verse 34. This morning. So I want to say two things about verse 34 before we begin. Two things that I hope will be helpful. Uh, I hope everything I say will be helpful, but in particular, I hope that these will be helpful as we begin to think about verse 34. Number one, the first thing to say about verse 34 is verse 34 contains probably the most offensive aspect of the gospel. We know that the gospel is an offensive message. We've heard that if you've been around the teaching of God's Word for any length of time, you have heard the reality that the gospel is an offensive message. In fact, we dealt with this some last Sunday as we talked about Peter and the other disciples choking on the cross, stumbling over the cross, this teaching that God has sent forth His Son to take up humanity, to take up perfect humanity, and this perfect humanity must die in our place and do what we're unable to do. So that is offensive, but just to be honest... I have never really felt the weight of that offensiveness like a Jew would have felt that weight. We've talked about this as recently as last Sunday, but other times before this, of just how the Jew who was steeped in the Old Testament really stumbled upon the, the fact, the teaching, that the Christ must suffer. Now, I know this to be an offensive message, but in reality, I've never really felt much of the weight of that offensiveness. I don't know if you have, but I've not. But the offensiveness of the gospel is not contained only in that aspect of the gospel message, the, the aspect that the righteous, must, the righteous must suffer for us. God must do what we cannot do, that our sinful condition is such that we cannot deliver ourselves from it. Instead, the offensiveness, the offensive aspect of the gospel is contained in what lies before us this morning. So I will endeavor as we walk through this passage to open up to us so that we see the true offensiveness of this message. But I warn you ahead of time that this message is a very offensive message. And if the Holy Spirit does his work to open your understanding to what verse 34 is saying to us, you too will find this a difficult message to contend with. And we'll work through that as we go on through. But the second thing that I must say is, what's been said really all along in Mark's gospel, which is to say that without the divine work of the Spirit, none of this will be opened to us. We will not understand this. And so 
When we come to verse 34, this is true for all of Scripture, but in particular, the, the truth that's being brought to us in verse 34 is I feel like one of the truths of the gospel message, the doctrine uh, that, uh, that Mark is showing to us, one of the aspects that is the most difficult for us to wrestle with in terms of truly grasping the spiritual meaning of this. This is a particular truth that if Holy Spirit is not at work in your heart, I will not be able to articulate this to you because this is, this is a truth that goes beyond words. I can attempt to put this into words as best I can, but Holy Spirit must work and He must work diligently in all of our hearts for us to see what I feel that the passage is showing us. And so in order to know whether Holy Spirit has truly opened your understanding of this passage, you will be offended by it. So if we get done this morning and you're not particularly offended by what this passage is saying to us, then perhaps there's more work to be done here. But nevertheless, with those two things being said, let's dive into our passage beginning from verse 34. So we begin by reading that Jesus, it says, Jesus called to him the crowd with his disciples. And so we'll pause there and just reflect upon the fact that we've now read something that we probably never have read before in any other uh, part of the Gospels, which is Jesus calling to himself a crowd. We have said multiple times of the Mark, the picture that Mark is presenting to us is this picture that Jesus is more or less mobbed by people all the time. From the beginning of his ministry up until the point in which he's in Jerusalem and he's arrested, it seems as though Mark is showing us a picture of Jesus that at all times he's mobbed by people at every turn. He has to get up before the sun comes up in order to have any time alone to pray. He has to call for a boat for his possible rescue if the crowd gets too close in and pushing too much on him. And so we're given this picture of the enormity of the crowd, the size of the crowds. And yet here we're told that Jesus has to call the crowd to him. So what is this about? Has the crowd now just sort of wandered off and Jesus has to regather the crowd? Well, I think two things are going on here. First of all, this is taking place at a point, we mentioned this last week, this is taking place at a point in Jesus' ministry in which the crowds have begun to dissipate. And they've begun to dissipate because of the, the difficulty of His teaching. From John chapter 6, we read that Jesus then begins to teach about how He will, uh, in order to be His follower, you must drink of his, uh, uh, eat of His flesh and drink of His blood. And we are told specifically there that due to the difficulty of that teaching, many of those who were following Him stopped following Him. And so Mark is reaching over into that time period to pull those events into this episode here for a teaching purpose. And so for one thing, the crowds have seemed to begun to dissipate somewhat. But nevertheless, even if the crowds have begun to thin to some degree, why does Jesus seeming, seem to have to call the crowds unto himself? Because if the crowds are thinning then that would make even all the more sense that the crowds would be close to him because those who would be left at this point would be those who are most committed, those who are most devoted, those who weren't, say, scared off by Jesus' difficult teaching of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So wouldn't it make sense that, it, that Jesus doesn't need to regather people back to him? But we should understand that when we're told that Jesus calls the crowd unto himself... Mark is not speaking to us about a spatial arrangement of people. He's not saying to us that the crowd had sort of drifted off and they're over there doing their own thing. And then Jesus and his disciples are over here. And then Jesus says, wait a minute, I got something I want them to hear too. Let me call them back over here to me. 
Mark is not saying something to us about the spatial arrangement of people. Instead, Mark is making a theological point. And that point is easy to see once you focus in just a little bit on those words, he called them to himself or he called them to him. That is a phrase that Mark in particular and all of the gospel writers reserve for those instances in which we know that those around Jesus are the called out ones. They are the the ones who have heard and responded to this call. They are Jesus's people. They're not the curious. They're not the ones who are there just to eat, the ones who are interested in what Jesus is all about. They want to learn more, maybe mixed in with those who are opposed to Jesus and they're listening to his teaching, trying to find something to trip him up on. And then mixed in with some lepers who are uh, have come because they've heard he's healing people and some lame people and this this mixed conglomeration of people. Instead, when we read the phrase, he called unto him, then the ones that are follow that, the ones that are called to him always in the Gospels are Jesus's people. He called to himself his apostles and he named the twelve. He called to himself his disciples, and sent them out two by two. He called unto himself those who would go up the mountain to hear the Sermon on the Mountain in Mark chapter 5. One of the places that we see this most explicitly because it's put together in such a way here in Mark chapter 3 for us to see both sides of this. So look with me in your notes at Mark chapter 3 and you'll see what I'm speaking of here. From Mark chapter 3, verse 8, when the great crowd, so great crowd speaks of a mixture of people, those who are just curious, those who just showed up, and those who are devoted followers, along with some of those who were hostile to Jesus. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, now look at this phrase, they came to him. They came to him. In other words, on their initiative, their decision, their choice, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that they, those who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Now verse 13, and he went up on the mountain and, now notice the difference, called to him those whom he desired. And they responded and came to him. Do you see the difference there? Do you see the difference between Jesus' summoning and the crowd's initiative to come to him? That is a nuanced sort of difference. That, but once you see it, it is distinct. And all the gospel writers hold it constant. That when Jesus calls people to himself, we know that he's now speaking of his people. Now, why is that important? That's important because what Jesus then follows up by saying to those he's called to himself, we know now that Jesus is saying these things to people who are the called out ones who are the chosen, who the ones who have heard the shepherd's voice and hearing the shepherd's voice, they have responded and come to him. These are his true and devoted disciples. Now, that's important to recognize because what Jesus is about to say, depending on who he's saying it to, could sound like two different things. If we understand this as something that Jesus is just saying to a mixed crowd of people, What Jesus is about to say could sound something like, how do you become a follower of mine? Well, how do you become a follower of mine? Well, you deny yourself. You take up your cross. You follow me. You see? 
If he were saying that to a mixed group, then it could be understood that way. Now, we know that that just doesn't fit, right? And so we instinctively know that Jesus is not giving instructions on how to become a follower of Christ. Instead, he's going to give a description of what the follower of Christ looks like. Now, we know that because we instinctively know the message of the Scriptures. But it's important to know that by more than just instinct. Instinct won't get you there. Instinct will lead you astray. It's important to see it in the text, to see in the, in the text how we know that Jesus is not saying, listen, if you want to be a follower of mine, here's what you got to do. You got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross and, and you got to come after me. We know that th- that's not what Jesus is saying because of who he's addressing, not to mention the fact that that would contradict things that are said elsewhere in the Gospels, and particularly in the epistles. So Jesus here is not speaking to the curious. He's not speaking to those who are just interested. He's speaking to those who have heard a call and responded, and they are His true and genuine followers. And now He's going to say to them something of what it means to be His follower. So He says, He called to Him, to the, to, he called to him the crowd, with His disciples, and He said to them, If anyone would... Now, that word would is translating the word that means desire or will. I really wish that our English standard translated that more literally instead of would, because the word there is literally to desire or to want or to will. So Jesus says, if anyone's will, if anyone's desire, so we automatically begin thinking here of, well, if someone has the will, if they have the desire to come after or be a disciple or be a follower of Jesus, then they have that desire because God has done that work in their heart. So Jesus is saying here, if you have this desire, if this desire to be my follower, if this desire to belong to me is in your heart, then what he's going to say after this, what he's he's saying is, is that this is a work that God has done in your heart because we know that no one has that desire to belong to him unless he has done that work in your heart. No one wants to belong to Jesus unless they are one of his sheep. No one just on their own says, I would really like to be a follower of Jesus. Genuinely in my heart, I would like to know him and be his follower. So Jesus is saying, if you have that desire, if that desire is in you, because again, he's speaking not to a mixed group, he's speaking to a group that has that desire. So he says, if you would have that desire, he says, if anyone, now that word if, there's two ways that we can understand if, right? If, even in our language, if can mean two things. If can mean, first of all, it can mean a a statement of assumption, or it can be a statement of condition. We use it the same way. And so we could use the word if to describe a state of condition. And we might say something like this, you know, if... I had brought my money, then we could all go to lunch after this. Or if we had, if we have time, we can all go over to Cracker Barrel and eat lunch afterwards, right? You see, that's a statement of condition. If this meets this condition, which is if everybody has time and we want to, we go to lunch. So if that condition is met, then this will happen. This next thing will happen. We'll do this. But if can also mean not not a statement of condition, but a statement of assumption. And that would sound something sort of like this. You know, if we're all here hearing my voice, then we are all listening to the word of God. 
And so what I'm not saying is a condition, you know, if you are here, if the condition is true that you're here, what I'm saying is a statement of assumption because you are here. It's plain that you're here. If you're all in the room, then you're hearing my voice. So we use that word two ways. The Bible also uses that word two ways. Here it's using, Jesus is using this not as a statement of condition, but a statement of assumption. In other words, he's saying, since you have this desire, because you have this desire, because it is your will, therefore I now say these things to you. So since or because or if anyone would desire or want to come after me. So Jesus is using that word come to describe a state of discipleship. He uses this word the same way in many, many different places. For example, John chapter 5 and verse 40. Here it's very plain. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. So you see, had you not refused and had you come, you would have life. And so Jesus is not saying, you know, to move yourself from there to over here close to me and you'll have life. Just like he's not saying to these, the, to the crowd that is around him now, you know, if, if it's your desire to come along with us, you know, we're on our way to Jerusalem. And if you want to come along, then just come on along with us. We've got these crosses here that we're carrying to Jerusalem. So come on and help us carry these crosses. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's using the word in, is synonymous to discipleship, to an invitation and a receiving and an accepting of this call to discipleship. If anyone or since you, in other words, have this desire to come after me, that's the word for follow, to come and follow or come after me, let him, and then now we have these three conditions, these three statements, these three directives here. Let him first deny himself, secondly, take up his cross, and three, follow me. So we'll take them one by one. So first we say, we read this, let him deny himself. So here, unfortunately, I've got to say for the second time already this morning is this, that we have a little bit of an unfortunate translation. I wish that it was not translated the way that it is. I wish it was not translated, let him deny himself. Because that misses, I feel like, the clear force of what Jesus said. So when Jesus says, let him, Jesus is not saying what it could sound like he's saying, which is he's making this suggestion or he's putting forth an option. In fact, um, not only does our ESV, trans, I think everything, just about everything, except for the New American Standard and the New Living. I think everything else translated, let him. Even the King James transit, translates it, lets him. So I wish we were more literal here because Jesus is not saying something as this option or this suggestion. Because you have this desire to come after me, then let me make a suggestion. You take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Instead, he's saying something that is definitely more forceful than this. So the verb here is the verb to deny, to forsake, to abandon the knowledge of, to uh, remove from, to, uh, to distinguish yourself from, to separate from, to emphatically declare that you have no connection with or no knowledge to. Okay, so the word there translated deny, it is in what's known of as in the Greek language as the middle voice. We don't have voices in English, but the middle voice works something, something very close to how a reflexive verb works in English. 
In English, we can make many verbs a reflexive verb by adding a personal pronoun as an indirect object to direct the action of the verb back to the one who's doing the action. That sounds like a lot of words, but, but here's, what it sound, here's what it looks like in real life. You can say something like, I drive to work. Or you can make it reflexive and you can say, I drive myself to work. You see how the object of the driving is now you. You could say, I drive my car. Or you could make it reflexive and say, I drive myself to work. Or you could say, I wake up at 7 a.m. Or you could make it reflexive and say, I wake myself up at 7 a.m. And so it's taking the action of the verb. It's making the actor and the one acted upon the same thing. So in English, we do that by adding that, that pronoun as an indirect object. But the Greek has what's called the middle voice, which is essentially the same thing. It takes the actor and makes the actor and the object of the action the same thing. Deny self. We'll circle back around to that, but deny self. Now, the next thing to see about that is it's an imperative. And we understand what an imperative is. An imperative is a command. So it's translated, let him deny himself. Now, let him deny himself can be a command. We can understand it as a command. But really, it could also be understood as a suggestion, as a choice, as an option that Jesus is offering. And so at the very least, it's not very clear. But what is crystal clear is that Jesus is issuing forth a command. Jesus is not issuing a suggestion. He's not saying, if you have the desire to be my disciple, here's a suggestion. Instead, he's issuing a command, and all of the commands of Christ are optional or obligatory. They're absolutely obligatory. They're absolutely non-optional. So what Jesus is saying, we should first try to feel the weight of the necessity of what Jesus speaks. What Jesus is going to speak is something that is non-optional. Not, this is not a choice for any believer. This is not sort of believer 2.0. This is not follower of Christ revisited. This is not the next step up. Jesus is saying, if you have within your heart a desire to be mine, then you must deny self. Self. 